turn back to Revelation chapter 1. This is some great thought and song that just connects my mind and my heart to the Word of God here today, today, and prayerfully for you as well. Revelation chapter 1 again, and we looked at verses 4 through 6 this morning, and I want to draw our attention to the rest of that passage, verse, verses 7 and 8. <clears throat> verse 7 says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, use your word again and encourage us, please, with these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Right now, the world is beginning to watch the Olympics, and I kind of have it in quotes, enjoying the Olympics, because like for me personally, I don't, I used to really enjoy the Olympics. Like it was a thing, the Summer Olympics, the Winter Olympics, like it was an event, you know, in my house, and we would really get into certain events and follow it uh, when I was a kid. It was like, but, but it's not enjoyable like it used to be uh probably for various reasons covid certainly has something to do with it i was trying to trying to watch the opening ceremonies of the winter olympics the other night and it was just like you watch these people walking out they're waving they're doing all this kind of stuff but you look around there's not anybody in the stands these entire stadium you know that was made for thousands and thousands of people and this big, huge spectacle, and we're just like, well, who are they waving at? Like, the TV? Like, like, what is this? You know, and it's, it's certainly not like it used to be. Something has changed in this world. And I think that's the main reason. Something has changed in this world. And I, there, you know, our world has this, this push toward globalism like, like we've never seen before. And I think it's been around a long time. I think it's been around, been around for for, for decades and decades, this, I mean, in every generation, uh, a push towards globalism. But I don't think it's ever been quite like it is right now. Something has changed. And, you know, the Olympics have always been about trying to bring the world together kind of a thing uh, under the guise of, of world peace and, and, and all of those kinds of you know, feel good or kinds of things. It's like they're wrapping it in this pretty present. But really underneath it all, the world is actually spiraling out of control towards more and more chaos. And all of those who say that they want world peace, that what they really want is world domination. That's what they want. And control. That's the kind of stuff that's going on. And that's, that's, that's the, the world right now. There's a struggle for control, and they say it's about peace, but, you know, the, and the Bible says, peace, peace, when there is no peace. That's what the world will say. The struggle for peace is going to continue, but it's never going to happen until Jesus comes again to set up his kingdom. Amen? In Acts 1 and verse 11, when the disciples were gazing up into heaven as they watched Jesus ascend, the angel said, <clears throat> What are you doing? 
Why are you standing here gazing? The same Jesus is going to come again. He's going to come back in the same manner in which you have seen him go up. Now go get busy to do what you're supposed to do and wait for his return. Matthew chapter 24, if you turn over there quickly, you can follow along. If you don't get there, I'll just read it. But Matthew 24 and verse 30, the Bible says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This same Jesus is coming again, but he's coming in power and great glory, the Bible says. Now, I want us to look in Revelation 1, in verses 7 and 8. We're going to see three things this afternoon. We're going to see the person, secondly, the punishment, and then thirdly, the power in these verses. And it all revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me, first of all, in verse 7. The Bible says, Behold, he cometh with clouds. Notice the person who is coming. The Bible says, He cometh with clouds. It also says that every eye shall see him. Who is being referred to here? That he cometh, and every eye shall see him. Well, we know, based on the prior verses, that it's the one, the one who loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. That's the one who's coming again. And every eye shall see him. It's Jesus Christ in the flesh. And what is he doing? He's coming. Verse 7 says, He cometh with clouds. The return of Jesus Christ is what is the focus here. And again, we know that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is in two phases. The rapture of the saints is the first phase. He's coming, but not to the earth to set his feet on the earth. But he comes, and we who are alive and remain are caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the rapture. That could happen at any minute. It could happen at any time. It could happen before we're done here. And, and the, the thought that you need to take away from that is, are you ready? Yeah. If he comes today, are you ready? Are you saved? The first phase is the rapture of the saints, but what's being talked about here, behold, he cometh with clouds, it's talking about the second phase, his return in power and great glory. That's what's in view here in this verse. When Jesus comes in the rapture, though it's going to be in the clouds, apparently not every eye is going to see him. However, when he returns in power and great glory, the Bible says here that every eye will see him. You're talking about billions, potentially billions and billions of people are going to see the Lord. All the nations of the earth are going to see Him. Look in Revelation 19. Revelation 19 and verse 11. The Bible says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now skip down to verse 19. 
And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the, the horse and against his army. So we have all of the kings of the earth. We have their armies. They're gathered together to make war against the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not, a, it's not something that's done in a corner. Let's put it that way. The world knows. Every eye will see him. We read in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 30 that he's coming in great power. But if you look at the verses before that, in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 27, the Bible says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in the heavens, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He's coming. But what is He coming to do? Well, the Bible says He's coming in power and great glory, and every eye is going to see Him, and all the kings of the earth are involved here. What is He actually coming to do? Well, He's coming to take control. Is what he's coming to do. He's coming to take control of everything and everyone on this earth. You know, I think about that. I think about the world. I think about, you know, big cities in our country. And uh, you see the crime and you see, you know, the, the looting, the rioting. You just see all the, and you like, you want to get away from, from that kind of stuff. And you kind of want to just, you know, isolate yourself and be rid of all of those things because, it, because it's, it's not good, it's not pleasant. And the truth of the matter is, it's not because of sin. But when Jesus Christ comes, He's going to clean it all up. And He's going to show how to rule and reign in righteousness. Matthew 25, verse 31 says, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then he shall sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from the other, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He's going to sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations of the world are going to be gathered before him. Daniel 7, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Isaiah 32 in verse 1 says this, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. If you study out Isaiah 32, you'll find that it speaks of the blessings of Christ's kingdom. But by the time you get over to Isaiah chapter 33, it's a description 
of how things will be. And Isaiah 33 and verse 22 says, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. In other words, in Christ's kingdom, the Lord is the one who is the judge. In Christ's kingdom, the Lord is the one who is the lawgiver. The Lord is the one who is the king. Christ is going to be the legislator. He's going to be the judge. He's going to be the executor of all that is in his kingdom. All authority is going to be designated and appointed by him and under his control and his direction. Now, you look at world governments, let's, let's start on the state level, for example. The Alaska state legislature is a mess, okay? Let's just put it that way. There's a lot of corruption in this state. Starting at the top with those who are supposed to be the lawgivers and so on. You know, there's elections that we have in our country and, and there's these election cycles and these people go out and campaign and they kind of take a poll of, of are, are people kind of conservative? Are they liberal or what? Let's talk about and let's run on things that are important to people. And most of Alaska seems to be pretty conservative. So let's make a whole bunch of promises about conservative type things and let's get people to vote for us. And if we can convince them that we're the same and we believe the same things you do and we'll fight for what you want, then we'll get elected. And then soon, as soon as they get elected and they get into office, all of a sudden they turn coat, they flip. And now you're a rhino. You're a Republican in name only. And all of a sudden, people are upset and people are mad. Like, we were, we were deceived. We were fooled. You said you were going to do this, and now you're that. That's really where our state legislature is, honestly. Quote, conservative Republican, but it's run by a bunch of rhinos and liberals. The, the reason behind that is money and power. You talk about the federal government. The federal government is absolutely no different. In fact, they will cheat whatever they have to do to get power. That's what it's about. It's about power and it's about control. It's lust for power. That is not what's going to be in Christ's kingdom. As a, as a representative who runs for state office or who runs for a federal office, it should be about the well-being of the people. It should be about what's good for us as a society. Let's put forth laws and things that are going to help us as a society to function and have peace and have, have control and have, have uh, uh, prosperity. That's what it should be. But in reality... You have some, but they're really outnumbered. In reality, what it is, is you've got the right, you got the left. And it's a lust for power. It's a lust for control. But in the millennial kingdom, in Christ's kingdom, every ruler is going to be appointed by Christ. Amen? Every law is going to be given by Christ. Every judge will operate under his authority and his direction. The Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. Even in this present world, there is no power but of God. 
The powers that be are ordained of God. Romans 13.1 does say that. But whereas today God allows wicked men to rule, in the kingdom of the Lord only righteous men will rule. All under His authority. Amen? That's a great thing. You're a hard, you're a hard crowd. I'm like, I don't know if that's really true. Well, you know it's true because it's God's Word. But it ought to bring some joy to your soul. Isaiah 2 and verse 3 says, And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and He will teach us of His ways, and we will walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This is in the millennial kingdom, friend. Notice this, that the people will say, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's go so he can teach us his ways, so we can walk in his paths. And from him comes the law and the word of the Lord is going to come from there. What does that say? Christ's kingdom will be a kingdom that will be ruled by God's word. Amen? That's going to be the law of the world. This word is going to be the law of the world. In Christ's kingdom, righteousness is going to be defined by God's law, not according to my law. Righteousness is going to be defined by God's law, and disobedience or unrighteousness in Christ's kingdom is going to be illegal. Yeah, it's going to be illegal. What is unrighteousness? Well, go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and look at verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness. What is that? Fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, Haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, that means unyielding or obstinate, unmerciful. That's what unrighteousness is. The Word of God describes it for us. In Christ's kingdom... Righteousness is going to be defined by God's law, and disobedience and unrighteousness is going to be illegal. You know what? Abortion, adultery, homosexuality, filthy speech, blasphemy, backbiters, profanity, selfish greed, and all kinds of other things are serious crimes in God's kingdom. Murder, kidnapping, theft. Those are things that are crimes in our society. But of the list of things that we just read in this present world, most of those things are not crimes at all. In fact, they are things like abortion and fornication and blasphemy and profanity and covetousness. Those are things that are lauded and praised 
in this world. Not in God's kingdom, not in Christ's kingdom. The Lord is the judge. The Lord is the lawgiver. The Lord is the king. And his law and his word is what's going to rule in this world. It's going to be the law of the world. Zechariah 14 and verse 9 says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. And in that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. And the pots of the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah, Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. In other words, what's, what's really being said here is that in every decision throughout Christ's kingdom, the very first principle is whether or not it is according to God's law and whether or not it is in conformity to His will. Everything will be holiness unto the Lord. Six plus thousand years of human history provides irrefutable proof that Living by God's law and living in conformity to God's will is always the best way. Where have we gotten? In the course of human history. God's word is going to be the law of the entire world. Praise the Lord. Amen. The nations will come to Israel to learn of God's law. Teachers will travel throughout the earth to teach it. We see a glimpse of that. We won't take the time to turn over there, but in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, you'll find that teachers were sent across the nation of Israel to teach God's word during Jehoshaphat's reign so that God's word would influence and impact the nation, the people. You see a glimpse of that in Solomon's kingdom where the Bible tells us that people came from countries all over the world to hear of his wisdom. That's what it's going to be like in the millennial kingdom. People are going to say, come, let's go to the house of the Lord so he can teach us his ways, so we can walk in them. And his word is going to be the law of the world. Back in our text, verse 8 says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. And I'll kind of close up this point here with these thoughts, but... The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last, the beginning, the ending. What is that? Who is that talking about? Obviously, it's Jesus Christ, but it's very God Himself. Jesus is the God of eternity. And the point is, is that if it's the, the first and the last, if it's the beginning and the ending, it tells us that He knows the beginning from the end. It tells us that there's not anything that's outside of His purview. It tells us that there's not anything that he does not know about. It tells us that there's nothing that, he, he, that is out of his control or that he does not know. Amen? And so as a Christian, we've got nothing to fear if we know him as our personal Savior. Because even in the chaos now, the Lord's in control. He knows the beginning from the end. And we can trust him. Our text said that he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. But it also says, and they also which pierced him. They also which pierced him. Clearly implied here is that the Jewish nation in that day 
will not only see Jesus Christ, but they'll also recognize Him. Zechariah 12 and verse 10 seems to refer to that very poignant reunion. In Zechariah 12, 10, the Bible says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. The nation of Israel in that day is going to be brought face to face with the deeds of their forefathers. What their forefathers perpetrated against him at Calvary centuries earlier, the nation of Israel is going to be brought to face to face with. When the nation of Israel said, crucify him, crucify him, his blood be on us and on our children. The nation of Israel is going to come face to face with that. And the Jews as a whole currently are still, quote, looking for their Messiah. John 1.12 says, Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. But when he comes in power and glory, not only will they see him, but they will know him, the one that they crucified. And it's going to bring mourning. Every eye is going to see him. They also which pierced him. And then look at the last part of verse 7 of Revelation 1. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. That statement, even so, amen, is kind of a statement that means, basically means, uh, well, you kind of get what's coming to you. Let it be done. But notice that all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. That word wail, it means to beat the breast, to lament, to mourn greatly. All nations of the earth are going to mourn and wail because of him. The thought is how all nations of the earth in that day are going to mourn as they realize the one that they had all opposed and rejected so cruelly has now returned in power. And they're on the losing side. And with all of that that it implies, they understand they're on the losing side and they are brought forcibly to that realization. And the only thing, the only thing that they can do is wail before him because there are no more chances. Let that sink in. Why will it bring mourning to all the nations of the earth? Because there are God-haters. There are the Richard Dawkins. There's the Bill Mars. And there's the, the, all the others that you can think of out there that blaspheme the name of God, that, you know, that make fun of Christians. And God is a crutch for you. And, and God doesn't even exist. And we're self-made and all of this. But every one of those people is going to face the grave someday. And every one of those people is going to stand face to face with Jesus Christ. And when they do, they're going to mourn. 
Because they'll realize the one that they had rejected has come in power and great glory and there are no more chances. Oh, what a, what a bitter, bitter, bitter pill. Especially, especially for people who have opportunity to be saved. We can't even describe the beating of the breast, the lamenting, the mourning. When the realization hits that I'm on the losing side. And they're forcibly brought to that realization. And all they can do is wail. He's going to bring them to an end even before eternal torment comes. This is the punishment. Even before the eternal torment comes, the lake of fire is the eternal state. But even before that, Christ is going to bring them to an end. In the millennium, Jesus Christ is going to be in everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. This world is going to be wiped out of its evil, and Christ's influence is going to be in everything. Now notice a few verses with me here. Turn to Zechariah chapter 14. I read a, a verse or two from Zechariah 14 already. But I want you to note what it's going to be like in the millennial kingdom, even for those who would try to be rebellious against the Lord. Zechariah, by the way, is the book right before Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. So if you go to the last book, minus one, you'll find Zechariah. Should we do a Bible drill right now? Swords up, right? Zechariah chapter 14, and look at verse 16. I even told you where it was, and you're still rustling the pages. Look at verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague, wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord." And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls of the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and seed therein. And in that day there shall be no more of the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Listen, even those who would want to uh, rebel against the Lord, they can't. It's not going to go unpunished. It's not going to go unrecognized. In the millennium, everything, everything is subject unto the Lord, even those that would reject Him. 
There's going to be perfect rule. There's going to be perfect justice. There's going to be righteousness in the Lord's kingdom. To me, that is a marvelous thing that really causes me to be excited. This world is not my home, amen? We are sojourners here. We're passing through. The Lord is coming. He's going to rule and reign in righteousness. Then I want you to notice the last thing just quickly. The power. The power of the person. We see all of this. He cometh with clouds. Every eye is going to see Him. The Jews are going to know Him. The punishment is that all the nations are going to wail because of Him. Even so, amen, let it be. Let it be done. It's what is right. And then verse 8 says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come. And here's the last statement. The Almighty. It's like an exclamation point that's put on the end of it. The Almighty. This is the power of the person. The Almighty. This seals it. Because what power is greater than the Almighty? What power is greater than the Lord? It seals it. There's no power that can compare. This is Jesus, the one who loved us, the one who washed us from our sin in his own blood. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered sin. Look at verse 18. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Amen. There's no power greater than the Almighty. This is going to happen, saith the Lord. Now look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with me. Just a few passages of Scripture and we'll be done. 1 Corinthians 15. Everybody loves to hear that part. You wait the whole message to hear that part right there. We're almost done. A few more passages and we'll be done. That could mean a lot. That really, really could mean anything. Don't get your hopes up. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, skip over to verse 55 of this same chapter. Verse 55 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He has conquered death. He has conquered sin. He has conquered hell. And the Bible tells us that we have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of our text, he says, this is the Almighty. Jesus Christ is the Almighty, and there's no power that is greater than Him. In the book of Jude, 
right before our text, the Jude verse 14, the Bible says, And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. The Lord is coming to execute judgment. He's coming to convince all of what they really are. And the point that I'm making here is that there is no power that can escape that. There's no avoiding it. There's no getting by from a rebellious heart. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess him to the glory of God the Father. There's no escaping. There's no hiding. There's no getting away with it. There's no rebellion against the Lord. We shouldn't rebel against him now. And because he is the victor, Friend, we can have victory in this life and eternal life as well. Again, we don't have to live as powerless people because of the Almighty. Because of the Almighty. One more verse of Scripture, John chapter 16, and verse 33. John 16 and verse 33, Jesus says these words. He says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What a day, what a time that's going to be, amen? When Jesus comes in power, and great glory. The world is crazy now, and I don't like it. And it's only going to get worse. But Jesus said, you can have peace in me and be of good cheer because I've already overcome the world. Amen. The one who loved us, the one who washed us from our sin in his own blood is the very one who's coming in power and great glory. He's the very one who's going to rule and reign in righteousness. He is the one that ultimately we are secure in. I love him, and I love him for all that he is. Do you? Question as we close, do you know him? Have you been born again by his blood? Are your sins forgiven? Are you ready for his kingdom? Because he's coming. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises of it. Thank you for its encouragement. I am tired at times, very much so, of this world. Sick and tired of it. Want it to just go away. And all of this clamoring for power, for control. All of this, these attempts to bring about some satisfaction, some joy, some peace, some contentment in this life, trying to keep to ourselves things. And it's here for such a short time. It's worthless, it's emptiness, it's vanity, because it's all going to burn up and you can't take it with you. 
Only the spiritual is what really matters. And this world is going to clamor for its power and control, but there's one who's coming, who's coming in great power and glory. And he's going to clean it all up. He's going to set the record straight. He's going to rule in righteousness. His word is going to be the law of the world. And what a blessed and a joyful time that will be. But only for those who know him and love him. And Lord, I pray that there would not be rebellion in the heart of anyone. Those who are not saved here, that they would submit to the Spirit of God and be saved. For the child of God, that we live with eternity in view. That the temporal things of this life wouldn't have so much control and power over us. That we'd realize that we're here for a purpose, to glorify our Father, to serve the Lord. And the time that we have is short. May we invest it wisely. Thank you for the day. Thank you for these dear people. And Lord, I pray that they'd be encouraged from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.